Sorry, I'm a bit distracted at the start of this one because I keep watching the skies. But I can't see anything interesting up there. So without further ado, let's get on with episode 17 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we mercilessly interrogate films previously described by other researchers as masterpieces. I'm Nick, and I am joined, as ever, by the refrigerated Roger. Oh, I don't see any UFOs. I just see a wave upon wave of Soviet missiles, so that's all fine, then. <laughs> oh, you're, you may be picking, it, picking up on some subtle subtext. Um, today, we are on top of the world and looking down on creation and saying, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me, as we delve deeply into the B-movie classic, The Thing from Another World, and its 1982 remake, The Thing. Um, along the way, we'll be discovering the world's most complicated recipe for roast carrots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hello, good evening, uh, Roger. The Thing from Another World and The Thing, both based upon the same John W. Campbell short story, Who Goes There? I yeah, believe. Um, I think it's technically a novella, but you know, the standards have varied over the years. That, that original mm. story is from 1938. And. Mm. The the slightly odd thing, I think, if you if you don't particularly know Campbell's work, and I think most people these days don't read a lot of Campbell's actual writing, he's much more remembered as as the editor of Astounding, as the enabler, uh, and, and <laughs> as, the way he went enabler. completely mad in his later years. Uh, but never mm. mind that. Uh, yeah, it's on the one hand we've got the fifty one film, which is. I think it, we'll come back to it in more detail, but I think it would be fair to say it is fairly mannered, and it's basically yes. about um, the, the existing power structures and authority figures solving the problem. It's very... Well, let's start with The Thing from Another and, World. Well, so this is... Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry. Well, uh, I'm just going to contrast The Thing 1982, mm. which is much less mannered and much less hopeful, but in many ways a, a, more refle- a more accurate filming of the story it, well I, I mean it's about as mannered as a mid-digit i guess <laughs> um and was received about as well at the time but i agree it well i think we'll come on to that but i agree it, it's certainly much tighter adaptation though still uh, takes a number of liberties with the plot yeah than the thing from another world um, I, I would just well, like to have a moment of campbell's deathless prose oh yes a huge blowtorch mccready had brought coughed solemnly Abruptly, it rumbled disapproval throatily. Then it laughed gurglingly and thrust out a blue-white three-foot tongue. I mean, yeah. that, oh okay. dear. Okay. That is a man who desperately wants to be uh, Raymond Chandler, but that does not <laughs> does not have any of the ability. I'm sorry. That's, I mean, I'm in no position to judge. But I think it's perhaps not entirely controversial to say he's probably a better editor than a writer. That that in itself leads to all sorts of things, and this is not a science well, okay, fiction history okay. podcast. So, well, you know, if you're interested, he likes his prose purple. Mm-hmm. Um, let's put it that way. Um, well, the thing from another world, 1951. I was about to say directed by Howard Hawks, which is not true. <laughs> Technically, yeah. Um, Technically, not true. The, there, um, there is continuing uncertainty about this. The, the best I've been able to find suggests that while Christian Nabe or Nabe, I don't know, was actually doing the directing thing on the ground, Hawks was on set most of the time. He he was fiddling around with stuff. 
he and was very much quiet words with with Nibi at the, at, during the during the direction. I mean, may, maybe somewhere in, in that space between director and producer, he was definitely somebody who could tell the director what he wanted done. Yes, it's fair to say he had a strong influence on the film, whether or not he directed it, and opinions seem to vary. Um, but I mean, Howard Hawks, who we haven't talked about, I suppose he was a bit before the time we've covered. I mean, he was incredibly prolific for someone whose name does not immediately spring to mind as a famous director. I was just looking up some of the films he's done. Scarface, Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday, The Big Sleep, which we talked about, Red River, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. He did a lot of things. Didn't do a load of science fiction, mm-hmm. uh, aside from this. Uh, the 1930 Dawn Patrol, I would strongly recommend. Oh, goodness, yes, Dawn Patrol. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know why he never springs. He's what he, I think people have described him as the, one of the best directors who isn't a household name um mm. perhaps we shouldn't go into it too much because he's not officially the director of the thing from another world um but this so uh this takes uh, so john campbell's short story in a very quick summary researches in an Antar- sorry in an in an arctic research uh, it's Antar- sorry it antarctic, is antarctic in campbell and the 1982 it's arctic here that's why I got confused because fifty one puts it north of Canada for some reason, and I, I um, anyway, a, a a research station at the end of the world, in whichever version you're looking at, the researchers uncover or by proxy uncover something that has been buried in the ice, um, either uh, very recently or for a hundred thousand years, depending on which which story you read, or, or uh, millions tra- of years in the original. In the original, in all versions, they attempt to retrieve the saucer using thermites. Um, I think in the story, the hull is made of magnesium, so that doesn't go <laughs> tremendously yeah, well. This is really weird, because this, I mean, all right, in, in the 1982 version, it's it's explicitly crashed. Yes. But this is a thing which is presumably designed to survive a flight through atmosphere at very high speeds, or it wouldn't yes. have reached the ground in one piece. And the these thousands of degrees centigrade that you would get from that are way hotter than what you would get from thermite. That's that's. I mean, I I'm no uh, physical chemist, but magnesium doesn't seem the best metal to build <laughs> build um, a spaceship out of. Actually, it's from not. Me. Mm, you, you can use it in the alloys to make things lighter. Yes. Um, the Soviet BMP-1 armored personnel carrier famously used quite a bit of it because they wanted it to be able to ford rivers and things and float. It right. didn't work terribly well, and there are persistent rumours that if if you hit them with the right sort of incendiary weapon, they would they would go foosh in a very distressing manner. Yeah, well, and as you say, for anyway, we don't want to nitpick the science too much, but for whatever reason, the 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 saucer is destroyed on retrieval. But in all versions, they retrieve the apparently sole passenger. Well, in in this and in the short story, that there, there is a definite feeling of. Well, yeah, we we all know what an alien spaceship is. We, the concept is not a new one to us. The, the film, of yes. course, is, is as as we talked about for um, Close Encounters. It, it it is after Kenneth Arnold. Everybody knows about the idea. In fact, the, one of the sort of big reveals of this film is when they they're trying to work out the shape, and they suddenly realise they're all standing in a saucer shape. Um, um, so it almost but, uses but that to its advantage. The, the thing is, when when they lose the craft, the the there is a strong feeling of we could have learned a hell of a lot from this. Yes. Therefore, this ice block is the only thing we've got left. Yes. 
Um, they take it back. Um, there is an incident with an electric blanket, <laughs> um, and the creature. Yeah, I, in I do this not believe version... in, in a 1951 electric blanket being that waterproof that it wasn't just short out. But yeah, I've had waterproof. I've had um, electric blankets less waterproof than that. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but that may be more being a student than uh, than living in the 90s. Um, the uh, the creature in this version and this version alone is revealed is in a much. It's it's nicely scientifically explored, but it is extremely different from both the short story and the the Carpenter version, the nineteen eighty two version. This thing is a killer vegetable, mm-hmm. um, and well, well uh, vegetable in, in they they don't really go into detail, but I, I think what we're meant to infer is that it doesn't really have distinct internal organs, mm. so you can blow a bit off with your bullets, but that's not really going to slow it down much. I think they explicitly say that in the film, you know, you can core out a bit of it with some bullets, but it's not going to do a lot to it. Um, so uh, in doing so, and again, we'll come on to this more in the later version, it does, I mean, that the short story, of course, is called Who Goes There? It is explicitly a story about paranoia. Um, and by changing the nature of the creature to not be a shapeshifter or an imitator, it loses all of that um, straight away. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it wasn't that the 50s were ripe for this, because, of course, we have the classic paranoia film, Invasion of the Body. Well, that, that's the interesting thing, that there's a lot of um, worry about the commies subtext in yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. Again, the Russians are mentioned as they've... Like, and maybe that is why they relocated it to the north of the world, that the Russians are more involved in the Arctic than the Antwerp. Yeah, I mean, we, we will come back to this to some extent, but... It doesn't, and it it seems very weird that some somebody took this. Um, let's see, screenplay by Charles Lederer, modified by other people. Um, he took this short story. I mean, they 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 paid Campbell for it and everything. Yes, and then stripped out the thing that would absolutely have reinforced the point they were that trying to make. That is what greatly confused me. This is a fifties film. The fifties science fiction is all about paranoia. It, it's, and, it's the uh, one that kicks it off. War. Yeah, and this comes but, out about five months, I think, before the day the Earth stood still, that we've talked about in a previous episode. Yes. Uh, it is, I think, the first alien invasion paranoia film. It may even be the first alien invasion film. I, th- I don't know. I think I've seen a few. I'm thinking of X, Terror Beyond Space, which is a terrible film. I'm not sure when that's... Which is the prototype for Alien, um, as I may mention before. But it's... Yeah, I, it struck, it surprised, I knew it coming into this, I've seen this film before, so I knew they changed the nature of the beast. I am just surprised, you know, that the, the story that predates it and the remake are both essays in paranoia, mm. and this one just, just loses all of that. Maybe the metaphor for, I, I, I suppose my, my take on it would be, when they use paranoia, it, it's in some way a comment on the Red Scare about, and, and I'm not sure if the Red Scare. When was McCarthyism? When did that really start off? Maybe the, it, the Red it was Scare and happen, happening at this point. But maybe the idea of they are among us was less established by '51. I'm probably well, body wrong. Body snatches though. is what '56, I think. It's not. Well, that's. A, I suppose that is a long time in terms of the Cold War. Another five years down the line. I mean, um, um, McCarthy is def- definitely. Well, McCarthyism as a concept definitely happened before. He, he got involved in this and 49 and 50, that, that's really kicking off right, and, it, so and, it's, really and it's declining by the mid 50s. Perhaps it just wasn't thought of as a metaphor or maybe this film was a much more straight laced look out this commies here rather than they are among, well, well, I mean, that's how it plays. The, what, what we have and 
yeah, th- this is one of the examples of the whole science versus military thing we've talked about before. Mm. And the deck is absolutely stacked against the science for this. I mean, I, 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 hands on the table, with cars on the table. I love this film. It's mm-hmm. great. 50s science fiction B movie. But I'm on the, I'm on the side of the scientists for, yeah. <laughs> for pretty much most of um, it. But, you know, our, our viewpoint is almost always with the military. Those are the guys we see joking around, not the scientists. Yeah. Carrington yes. is wearing a coat and a furry hat and he has a beard. <laughs> Terrible. And, and, and he makes that lies. speech about how wonderful it is to be completely without emotion. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, he, is, he is an entirely unsympathetic character. Um, Even when he says, quite correctly, you guys have no right to take over this base. You're doing it purely on the basis that you have guns and we don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could. I, I mean, there are films that could make great store of it. This really does play up to the B movie stereotypes of. Uh, military good science uh at, at may, best I mean, easily deceived yes uh is is dispassionate and cold and is causing us harm it wants to put us all in harm's way for the pursuit of pure knowledge and this is taken as a bad thing in this film um mm-hmm. which i disagree <laughs> with the con- so so but- contrast um captain pat henry who is Basically, the ideal commanding officer. I mean, not not only does he generally get things right, um, when there is somebody else who knows more about the thing than he does a particular situation, he takes their advice. Yes. So he he is not just the generic white male authority figure. Yeah, he's very good at, at delegating, at listening. He's one of the men, but he has the respects of all his men. He's uh, he's good with the ladies. It's um, I mean he's a, he is an interesting example. I liked him. It's Kenneth Toby, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, uh, I I did find him a. I suppose because he is so perfect, he grates on my sensibilities a <laughs> bit. Because I I kind of disagree. He's very authority figure in a good way. And yeah, this well, is 50 science l- let's be fair. This this is the sort of guy that 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 uh, all those white-haired men in airplane were parodying. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, the stereotypes are all there. We have, uh, we have the heroic military commander. We have the dispassion. I mean, sometimes the scientists are more uh, the force for good in fifties science fiction. Yeah, mo- mean, mostly more later on. Th- this is a public that has recently been exposed to the destructive power of the atom bomb, and I think it is. Understandable yeah, they're still writing perhaps. songs about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is understandable that the science is viewed with suspicion uh, at some level. In this era, so I'll, I'll forgive the film its disagreement in its worldview because it's it's well played. I just wish that I mean the scientist again. It was, um, uh, what was his name? Um, uh, Do- Doctor Carrington, played by uh, Robert, Robert Cornthwaite. Um, plays it very well. I mean, he's he's got an on on a thankless task really playing mm. Robert Cornthwaite, uh, uh, playing um, playing the scientist. Um, Kenneth Toby has a much easier task. We have the um, the comedy character, the uh, the journalist. Yeah, who he he's comic jokes relief. around with freedom of the press, and he's kind of he's he, comic he's relief. Kind of who's not odious? That that line about you know he was there at El Alamein and Bougainville and Okinawa. He that, he that is he, a nice line. he is a proper manly man. Even though he's doing a basically intellectual thing. He does almost immediately faint after that, <laughs> delivering <laughs> that amazing line. Um, but yes, it's right. I, he, he's I, allowed I suppose... to disagree with Henry about the right thing to do. I mean, he doesn't get to win, but he is allowed to disagree no. and not be a bad guy. 
That's true. Yes, unlike uh, poor Doctor Carrington, I I did find that grated a little bit. Too. I'm being harsh. I'm picking on all the bits that grated. Um, uh, but it's from a different era, and I'm willing to forgive it a lot. But I found it a bit grating that he was joking about uh, about freedom of the press and you're suppressing this story. Whereas you know there are films. I don't see that. Where that I don't see that a as a joke. I, I think he's saying genuinely, "I want to report this," but he yes. but he is not going to get to the point of physical violence about it because he knows he'd lose i suppose that he's he's wise enough to know he's not going to win and so he notes his displeasure and continues on and, he is an interesting charismatic character. and i think we really should talk about uh nikki nicholson the, the wow. one female I mean, this character is, uh, the one female character who is of course the love interest she is um, a very sexually dominant uh, female character uh, yeah that that, that scene with with the uh Hat, let's say that scene with the hands tied uh, mm. not, was not in most prints of the film until about uh, the, the 90s when they started I am to... not surprised because that uh, raised some eyebrows because you know the, the, this, this is, the code is still going strong here um, in fact late, later this year it, it gets a new edition with, with um, even more specific prohibitions um, but you know, the, the way I see it you know a lot of America had either been to or knew people who'd been to or seen the news from the Second World War. Yes. And mere, you know, minor moral turpitude really doesn't have a lot of force at that point. Obviously, the people who were enthusiastic about it doubled down. And Breen Breen is still in charge here, and Breen never saw a thing that he didn't find dirty. It may tell you something (laughs) about Breen. Um, But, you know... Uh, In spite of that, her intentions are clearly dishonourable. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a nicely... She gets a lot of... And she isn't punished uh, for it, you know? Well, uh, he might be later if he plays his card right. It's, <laughs> it's a nicely playful scene that she's given command of it. Of course, it's revealed at the end of that scene that kind of he was in control of it all along, which I thought slightly took away from it. But it is a nice... It's uh, The banter between them, it's not... It's not the most sizzling on-screen chemistry, but it works, and I yeah. I well, like not everything could be the thin man. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, and he uh, uh, also she does come up with the idea of cooking the carrots because um, she's the mm-hmm. she's obviously and she, she I, also I, hands I, over the notes when it's clearly the right thing to do. Yeah, she's the the moral the moral heart of the scientists. Uh, I, it, I mean, she within the bounds of being a fifties science fiction heroine, she's not a scream queen. Does she? Scream don't think in it? so. I don't I think mean, she does. Com- no, compared with other female characters of the era, my word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was. A, she's a great character. Um, it doesn't get a huge amount to do, of course, because yeah, um, I mean, that, the, the this is a thing Hawks did, uh, along with the dialogue with lots of people talking over each other. Something of a trademark of his. Yeah. And it was at the, the I watched this film with subtitles on. Um, <laughs> it was incredibly distracting because the subtitles were, in every case, just slightly reworded, and it completely distracted me. Mm-hmm. The reason I watched it on it's played on the uh, on BBC recently, so it was still on iPlayer. But the subtitles were <laughs> extremely distracting yeah. to me. Um, but yes, the dialogue. I did, ultimately, I found the banter not not as irritating as Diana. Because um, I like the characters more, yeah. uh, not quite as successful as like Tarantino levels. But I mean, I can't really compare nineties with fifties banter. It was it was pleasant enough and past the time. I do feel, to me, perhaps the comedy of the banter somewhat undercut the the kind of horror of the story, mm. uh, and the horror aspect really wasn't played up. 
But it does, I mean, where it does do horror, you know, it's it, it's never shown, but, you know, the scientists who are strung up and are basically gutted um, over the soil to feed the vegetable monster, mm. um, that and, uh, that's quite nicely played. And that this film has one of the, aside from Jaws and Ben Gardner's head floating out of it, one of the scariest <laughs> jump scares I've seen for a long time when they open the door and the, the creature is right there. Mm. Um, and that's good because the creature itself frankly is not that yeah very, it's very much i would say in the frankenstein's monster sort of mode yeah the, 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 the man in a suit uh james Olness, uh generally better known as uh, marshall matt Dillon in gunsmoke oh yes yes but not a lot to do here other than to uh, run around in a rubber suit which i mean mm. it doesn't get a lot of on-screen time we're frequently told by Dr. Carrington that we are mental midgets compared to this uh, uh, enormous brainiac vegetable. It doesn't offer a lot of evidence of his uh, superlative intelligence here. Um, he's just really there to hit people and, and go rargh. Mm. Um, but it's not, I, I think they, it's quite talky. I suppose a lot of 50 science fiction is quite talky because it cut down on the amount of special effects they needed to use. Um, yeah, though I, I would like to put in a, a mention of that. That first long shot of the crash site from the air is one of my favourite moments in all of film, frankly. It's a good one. Yes, it is. It's Presumably that's a matte painting. I haven't actually looked into well, the, it. Well, there's sunlight bouncing off it. So, oh, right, so yeah, at, yeah. at the very least, it's probably a model, and and they are standing around on stuff later. But I don't know. Um, it is just lovely, and it that is, they have actually yes. thought out. Yeah, this thing has slid along the ground and then melting a narrow path and then stopped and sunk. Yeah, because it, what's nice about it is initially it looks slightly nonsensical, and you think, well, that doesn't. Matter. And then you think about it and realise, oh yeah, that's exactly how this strange teardrop shape would have been made yeah i agree that's a lovely moment um i, th I think overall, what, what i'd come down to is yeah by it it doesn't well it it was mildly revolutionary in by the standards of its day mm. uh but it gets basically everything right yes uh in in, in the idiom that film goes of the day would understand yes it's i mean for me what i what did i write it's basically fun uh, but ultimately fairly superficial. I mean, it, it mm. does everything right. It, it doesn't really explore the themes very much. It doesn't have to, I suppose, for 15 science fiction, but The Day the Earth Stood Still did, um, and that was only a few months later. I yeah. know that was very atypical for, for 50s B-movies. This is a, basically a great example of a 50s B-movie. Um, yeah, it, I, it was I, the 46th biggest box office earner of the, of the year. Um, oh. and highest science fiction film box office owner of the year. Fair enough. And this was as B movies were just starting, of science fiction B movies were just starting getting going. I, yeah, I like it. I, it certainly was influential because we're talking about, um, another film. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of people consider it a masterpiece and a great, one of the greatest 50s science fiction films. Um, I wouldn't disagree. I just, I, I suppose I'm always slightly disappointed for the film it could have been, mm. but then we get the film that it could have been uh, 30 years later. Well, so it's it's interesting. For, for for this film, I managed to put myself into something like the mindset of people who would have watched it and enjoyed it at the time, whereas with Diner, mm. I completely failed to do that. So, 
Yeah, that's true. Maybe that means we've got more 50 sensibility than 80 sensibility. Even so, Roger, we're both saying we prefer the scientist to the, <laughs> to the hero. But that's, uh, but that's fair enough. Um, yeah, it's good. I would not adore it, though. If uh, in, I do not adore it in the way that, uh, again, cards on the table, I adore the 82 version, mm-hmm. um, which we'll come to now, I yeah. guess. So, yes, uh, John Carpenter, um, this is, let's see, he'd done one this or two other After films. the Fog. Yeah. And uh, after Halloween. Yeah, I, th- I think it was on the back of Halloween that he got this. Yes. Uh, they they, yeah, this they started, been... yeah, the project started in the mid 70s. That's right, yeah, it'd been bouncing around for a while. People, including our own, uh, Nigel Neal had been asked to write the scripts, I believe. And at one point, Toe Pooper was expected to direct off the back of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yes, yes. Um, but it came to John Carpenter. Um, he was too tight. To... Oh, he'd done Escape from New York. It may have been right off Escape from New York mm. that he did this. Uh, now, he's often a writer-director, but he didn't write this. It was Bill uh, Lancaster that wrote the script mm-hmm. for the thing. Um, and But the idea for everyone was that it was, um, it was going to be a much closer adaptation to Who Goes There?, uh, Carpenter was orig- originally a bit nervous about doing it because yeah. he really liked the 50s. Yeah, which was the version of the story that he knew. And then somebody yes. said, hey, go go and read the actual story because <laughs> that ain't what the film is. Yes. And th- so this film really does play up the paranoia almost, I would say, even more than the original story, if that is possible. Uh, well, it is possible because they do do it. <laughs> in, the, mm. in this film, the thing, it's no longer from another world, it's just a thing. Um, there are a few minor tweaks to the original story. In this film, it was actually discovered by a completely different group of researchers for whom it has not gone well. Um, and it turns out this thing can imitate life perfectly, any other life. Um, well, we only see and... it imitating mammalian life, but yeah. Oh, that's true. I think in the... In the short story, they suggested they can imitate birds, at least, because mm-hmm. that is how the story ends. Um, um, here... Well, we can get back to that. Though. The, the, this is Campbell. Campbell didn't really do downbeat endings. Uh, so, so as far as he is concerned, mm-hmm. somebody says, "Could it have been? Could it have got into that albatross?" And somebody says, "No, no, it, it, it had the weapon. It had the escape device nearly constructed." Clearly, that's not the case here. <laughs> Well, this, yeah, this film is uh, all about, even more so than the ambiguity and paranoia. It, uh, so, uh, it, in this film, we have a much smaller ensemble. We have 12 men, and very specifically men. No women are involved, and that was for... Uh, different people seem to have different opinions, but all agreed that they wanted... Basically, they didn't... Oh, I'm paraphrasing here, but they didn't want a woman for the men to either posture to or to distract from. Or... Yeah, I, I, I had a look at uh, some of the sources on this. So uh, Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, the star, um, just yeah. said it was interesting because the men had no one to posture for without women. Yeah. And I can only say he's never paid any attention to men, maybe. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's a thing yes, men do. yeah. Um, uh, Lancaster said he believed a female character would just be a love interest who inevitably gets in the way and frankly if that was his idea of a female character I'm quite glad he made the decision he did Yeah, I I think they're actually too tied up this is part of the problem deliberately or otherwise they're they're too busy performing masculinity at each each other to think sensibly about the problem and the, the most paranoid and isolated and dysfunctional of them all is Mac 
Oh yes, yeah. It just happens to be that is a good survival tactic in this in this sort of situation. Um, I agree. I mean, I I'm undecided on how. It, I mean, there is. I mean, nowadays we are. I wouldn't say spoiled, but we are lucky to have much stronger, better written female characters who do not come from Venus, where men come. We, from we have some scriptwriters these days who have actually met women. Yes, exactly. Uh, even on occasion, some of them actually are women, though. Oh, steady on, steady on. I know, sorry. Um, so it would certainly not have been impossible. Uh, on the other hand, I could take it as a, there is now quite so stupid as men. Um, and I mean, I, that's a, that's an interesting thing they say no one to posture for, but there is a fair bit of, um, uh, dick waggling in this film mm-hmm. from, from what we're hearing. From so, men yeah. posturing to each other. So I, I don't think it, hurts the film desperate. I mean, there are some films we've talked about which really had to be all-male casts, or at least it would have been a stretch of authenticity not to be like Das Boat. Um, this didn't have to be, but I feel it works as an all-male cast. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's is... the thing I generally dislike about film when when it is yes. completely or, you know, there is the one token woman. But, yeah, that said, it it, it doesn't cripple the thing. Well, I will touch uh, briefly, very briefly on, I forget what year it was, that, but the prequel to this film also uh, helpfully called The Thing. 2011 also helpfully called The Thing, which does have a uh, a female character in it, who is, um, uh, well, I don't, the film is, just, it's hard to judge because the film is just much less successful, less well written, <laughs> um, and, but it does have a female character in it, um, and she is... I don't believe my memories are. I don't believe she's used as a love interest. I feel she is just another member of the cast. So at least it got that in there, uh, aside from its many failings. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come back to that later. Um, yes. So, yeah, the, I, I will admit that I got a little bit distracted in, during the opening moments of this because I, I kept thinking, I, I know this is a moving platform, but are you really that bad a shot? <laughs> um. I mean, you, well, you, you have a perfectly take, good ha- scoped rifle here, and the dog is not really dodging. I have theories on this. I mean, if he shot the thing, it probably wouldn't do a lot to it anyway. That's that too, yep. Who would you know? I suppose it might have spilt some blood on the snow. But I, I, my take on it would be, knowing, as he does at the start of the film, the nature of the thing, why is he even bothering trying to shoot it with a rifle? Why isn't he not flying over it with some kerosene and mm. trying to set fire to it? Yeah. Um, that would be my problem with the opening scene. Um <laughs> I so for me, uh, uh, again, I've put many cards on the table. I still have some left, but they basically are. I adore this film. Mm-hmm. It is one of my TM favorite films. It is one of my films that I could start at the beginning as soon as I've watched. Um, as soon as I've watched it, I, I would say I don't love it that much, but I do like it a lot. Okay, then we may continue the podcast. So, I mean, I, I definitely saw some problems, but at the same time, I enjoyed it overall, in spite of any minor drawbacks well should we talk about um i mean there are a lot of changes in this film it is incredibly explicit there are a lot of uh very strong special effects um which we'll talk about later i think i wanted to talk about the pacing first of all because to me uh i'm probably uh i can't remember when i saw this film this there's one of those films was it a video nasty i can't remember it was, it was i don't rumors. think it was ever on the band list but it was certainly one of those films that was whispered about in school playgrounds about this happens and then his hands get bitten off and then it was <laughs> and so that coloured it uh in a way that made me and perhaps the audiences at the time 
less appreciative of the actual story but for me the pacing like Jaws for me the pacing is fantastic whereas I think you had some problems with the pacing yeah I think it may be because particularly having just watched the 51 um I felt that starting with the action sequence and then going into quite an extended talky bit um felt felt more as if it were dragging whereas if they'd started with the talky stuff Without an action sequence, it might it might have held together a little better, and particularly the well, the, the flashback explanations with the camp, um, yeah, and the video. And as it is, to be fair, I mean they they cut out a whole lot. Um, they did. There were they there did. were introductory scenes to those characters that you knew who they were. Yeah, which and they which are, didn't yeah. make it into. I don't I don't know if they even got filmed. They certainly didn't make it into any print I'm aware of. Well, I guess in media res, you know, starting with the action and then doing some exposition is a fairly classic filmic technique. Um, yeah, but I, it, to me, it just felt like a, a, a strong change of pace. You know, we've had this thing; we should be acting on it in in a direct way immediately, rather than I don't know. It, it just yeah. felt, felt a little odd. And once we get into the paranoia phase, which is, let's face it, the meat of the film, mm. I think it's much more effective. It happens. It's one of to me. It's one of those films that I don't know that that it's. Why do I like the pacing so much? I think it starts off with a small mystery. It's like the case of Charles Dexter Ward for me. <laughs> it starts off with a small mystery. Why was this crazy Norwegian um, shooting a dog? And then, it, uh, and I guess I, whenever I see it, I always like I'm coming to the film fresh, even if I've seen the 1951 film just a, a few hours before. Um, it starts off with this: why are they shooting it? And then it, it's to well, let's go and investigate the camp. And then the camp is just full of horror mm. that is unexplained. Uh, and then they dissect the thing, and this the horror, the 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 tension and the horror is building up. Well, one of my two f- favourite moments in the film is is that drip of blood icicles from the wrists of the guy who's cut his throat. It's amazing, and I love the failing of the 2011 film. Is that then goes on to explain how all the things in that camp happen? Yeah. They're just not as interesting as seeing them be discovered. Yeah, leave later. leave the mystery. Let people make up their own stuff. It's always more interesting. Well, I think that film came about because everyone was like, "Oh my god, I can!" And they wanted to tell that story, but ultimately, it's the same story as the other camp, so it, it's hard to make mm. it any more interesting. Um, but then they build up. Then they find the saucer. Um, they know this is an alien thing and then the realization that it's one of them that it can imitate them all and as they learn well that's around about that time is when the dog attack happens and it just all that's when the paranoia phase starts i just yeah um, i I, before that i do like the foreboding dog you know we've got this shot and then we just frame it so that your attention is drawn to the dog standing there watching It's, it's beautifully done Yes, it's uh, that dog was quite uh, it was a half wolf apparently and very difficult to tame. But the guy who plays Clark, the dog handler, was very keen on dogs, and he was offered, I think it was Gary, the uh, the station commander, but he preferred he preferred the uh, the dog side of it, so, and he made, he became very good friends with that wolf dog. Yeah. Um, I, I would just like to point out that you know doing an autopsy on someone does involve more cutting than just reaching in and pulling organs out. <laughs> Like they're all sort of hooked up to stuff. Don't. This is one of the first films where we've had a pathologist in it. (laughs) Though I will point out, if you're using a pencil, the rubber end of a pencil, to poke about in an autopsy specimen, don't put it in your mouth afterwards, Blair. That's how you ended up a thing, you idiot. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) 
Oh, every time I watch that scene, I watch him tapping his lip and really basic sterile procedure, man. <laughs> At least he's wearing gloves, I guess. <laughs> um, well, shall we talk about the effects because they are a huge mm. part of the film? Almost. Well, well, this, we, you, this is Rob. That, that's important in itself, yeah. Well, this Rob, is Rob, Rob, Bottin. Rob Bottin's effects and Stan Winston doing the creature design. Yes, and Stan Winston uh, strongly acknowledges it was Rob Bottin's work who did all this, to the point where he only gets a thank you in the credits. He's not even really credited. Yeah, but, but it was definitely the one that kicked off Winston's separate career. Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not belittling Stan Winston, but he's very adamant that it was Rob. Mm-hmm. Rob Bottin almost literally worked himself to death on this film. He, he ended up in hospital with pneumonia and uh, stomach ulcer, I think, during this film. Mm. Um and he also, he, he lobbied heavily to play one of the characters as well, as John Carpenter wisely said, you probably shouldn't do that if you've got all these effects to do. Um, this is, I don't know, to me, this film is the apogee of the era of um, physical effects mm. uh, before CGI came in. And I mean, CGI didn't ruin anything. It's, it's very good in its way. It, well, but... it, it obviously can be done well, because in the end, what you've got is pictures on a bit of celluloid or whatever. Yes. But... I think it's very easy to do CGI sort of 70% as good as yes. a good physical effect for 20% of the price and realizing that getting it the rest of the way is going to take another 60% of the price. Yes, exactly. Um, well, these, I mean, these are top. Um, I mean, they're almost cartoony, the gore in it, but it works because the thing is so alien. I mean, the, yeah, the I mean, we've that... complained before about bright red gore, but. Yeah, it's alien ghoul, so fair enough. Exactly. Here it works quite well. And actually, the blood, to me, is perfectly coloured in this one, unlike mm. uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, what I love about the concept of the thing here, I, I mean, uh, John Carpenter really wanted to avoid a man in a suit. Mm. He loved Alien, which was a few years before this. But there, there, there's a, I that... see a lot. I, don't, I wouldn't call it stealing, but I do think there is a lot of influence from Alien here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's, it's that real kind of body horror that you get in the, at least in the chest burst. Upon, but also right? the working steps in the base. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Well, that's another interest. In, in the book, McCready is, is he a meteorologist in the story? Yeah. Here he is. The, I, I found the character description of McCready here, which is 35, helicopter pilot, likes chess, hates the cold, the pay is good. That's his, <laughs> that's his line. That tells you everything you need to know about McCready. Um, and let's face so, it, Kurt, I, I very much admire some of the stuff Kurt Russell's done, but he doesn't really have a wide range. I think it would no, be fair to say. I, I mean, he was one of the last people to be hired on this. And McCready, the idea of the script was McCready slowly sort of emerges from the ranks as the hero. I gather when they got Kurt Russell on board, they had to do some rewriting where he was much more clearly the hero earlier on. Mm. Um, I still think they still think they do well out of it. He is not a classic heroic character. He has many character flaws. As you say, he's perhaps the most dysfunctional of all of them. Um, it just so happens that that's quite helpful when you're being invaded by, <laughs> <laughs> by a thing that can imitate anyone else. But uh, re- returning to the effects, I'm, the, the yes. first one that really impressed to me uh, was the dog monster. Yes, and which is Stan Winston's, isn't it? I, uh, I don't know the I, details, but I think that's what Stan Winston did. It's it's a puppet rather than a yeah. Uh, um, but it works. You know, it, yeah, it, you can immediately work out what it is, where, where it's come from. All all of that information is there for the watcher. It doesn't have to be explained. No, um, even though um, 
all right. I, I, I found most of the indoor scenes very underlit. Um, okay. And obviously that helps, in effect, work more effectively. But I think the thing is it's very similar to Alien. There has to be detail in the effects because the audience is being expected to think a bit, to understand this is how it works. Yes. You know, it, it is taking these things over rather than just well, eating I, them. I have the Blu-ray version. I have two Blu-ray versions of films because I <laughs> really don't see the point. One of them is Blade Runner and the other one is this, and it really does hold up to Blu-ray kind of levels mm-hmm. of um, definition. It's, uh, it doesn't look any faker. It, doesn't, it, it just... It's... Uh, Yes, the the creature is is really well realised. It's very obvious, as you say, what it's trying to do, even when it's doing very strange things. Things that, uh, although it takes from Alien, it really does take it to the very extreme. Mm. Um, possibly too extreme. I and certainly that. I mean, you, you know, we have the moments like the um, uh, the uh, defibrillation team. Um, you don't where... shock a flat line. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I got everything he deserved for trying to shock a flatline. Um, <laughs> but but the, that the... that is that is I will admit my my other really favourite effect sequence here. That oh, that, that whole bit where the and thing opens followed up. immediately with the head mm-hmm. coming off the table, draw, and then sprouting legs, followed by the immortal line, which is exactly what you're thinking of. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, which is, uh, of course, what we don't realise when he says that, but we realise later in the film. He himself is a thing, which, I don't know, I love the questions it makes of what is the nature of these things. In the story, sorry, I'm getting away from this special in the story, I think it's quite explicit that it has telepathic... In the story, it's telepathic, yes. But in this film, it's not at all clear that the things it's, it's are quite able bad to be the other thing. <laughs> exactly, doesn't he? But that is—it's really interesting to me. I just love that kind of. Are these things? Do they think that? Do they know their things? Do they, are they behaving well, differently? Hmm, there's, obviously, we don't get a lot of information on that because we we never actually get a thing thing's point of view no. of any of this. Um, but the thing is, sorry, I'm going to say that a lot. Um, <laughs> Looked at in terms of theory of consciousness, and if, let us say, I have been thung, and the, the, yes. the thing is, it, it's imitating my body, it has access to all my memories, it is it is saying and doing exactly the same things that I would say and do, until the mm. moment comes to leap up and murder, murder somebody. Mm. Um, is that really, in, in anything beyond philosophical terms, meaningfully distinct from a version of me that has, let us say, joined a cult. That this is what I absolutely love. I mean, if you are, you know, if you don't believe there's a, a soul, if this thing imitates you absolutely perfectly, then it, it kind of is you in in all yeah. the ways that matter. Except here, we have a testable hypothesis, you know, that yeah. you can actually prove that you are. A thing. But um, I think one of the supports for this is, and as they are. You know, starting the blood test scene, we yeah. we have that look round, and everybody's is either thinking, "Holy crap! I hope I'm not one of them," or yes. doing a perfect imitation of somebody thinking, "Holy crap! I think I'm not one of. I hope I'm not one of them." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, these things imitate you perfectly to the point where if you have a weak heart and it imitates you, it's like you have a heart attack if it ex- ex- which is. Uh, again, it's hard to know whether that is a ploy on the thing's part. And is there I, really a way of imitating somebody so perfectly without, in effect, running a copy of their consciousness? 
Exactly. I, d- I don't think there is. But what I like about the film is it raises those questions and doesn't answer them mm. because it's beyond the scope of the film. But like all the films we've enjoyed, it touches on those themes. I mean, clearly they have some autonomy because Blair in his shed, the heroic pathologist, um, is building a flying saucer in the basement of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's clearly, when they're not around, they they. They are, in some ways, slightly... Some of the characters do change a bit. Blair becomes visibly different when he is thunged. Um, but, I, 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 yeah, the, the, if they didn't imitate as well as they do, then the paranoia is gone. Yeah. Um, going back to the effects, sorry, which we got sidetracked from, I think... I mean, this film was just hated at the time. I mean, there are so many uh, critics just absolutely savaged it. Um well, Carpenter I think I think there was, are several reasons for that, and and it's not just the effect. Well, Carpenter was called a pornographer, a pornographer of violence due to this film. I have one of the contemporaneous reviews because I thought that was an interesting. Um, it was just absolutely pillory. Um, it has no pace, sloppy continuity, zero humour, bland characters on top of being totally devoid of eye of the warmth or humanity. This was um, in Starlog. Um, Cinefastique Fastic, ran a cover which asked, is this the most hated movie of all time? I, so for me, I think, I, from my experiences of growing up, the thing that everyone talked about was the gore mm-hmm. um, and the horror. And I, I do think for the audience at the time, this was an audience that, this was also a year where we had E.T., Blade Runner, Conan the Barbarian. It was pretty heavy on the old um, genre fiction side. Um, but this was the most extreme gory one. I think it did distract a little bit from the story. Um, I love it now, and I wouldn't be without it. But I think maybe at the time it was perhaps too over the top for the audiences then. Perhaps. I, I also think there are um, elements of the what one might think of as, as the zeitgeist, uh, the, um, there was, yeah, seven, 70s science fiction films tend to be grim. Yes. And quite a lot of 70s other film tends to be a bit grim. And I think there, <laughs> yes. there was a, a lot of feeling in the early 80s, certainly I remember it, um, of let's have something a bit more cheerful. Yes. And, and th- we this... had close encounters by then, and, and that's what. And th- this is cynical, and it's anti-authoritarian, and you know that there's there's that. Also, people who remembered the original film, well, it's not like the original <laughs> film. It's not like the original film. It's, it's almost the. I mean, I, 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 authority I, is the opposite. Genre is a is a saggy and flexible thing, but I would definitely call this science fiction slash horror rather than science fiction, which the earlier one is. Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, I completely. The, and if you think of the two heroes, you know, MacReady versus our captain mm. in um, in the thing from another world, they could not be more different type of characters. The other thing is, and this this really drew itself to my attention um, because of having watched Raiders for last week's episode. Mm. It does basically the same thing. It strips out what earlier films would generally have had the character building moments. Yes. In favour of, in Raiders, the constant action. In this, the constant special effects. I'm not obviously not literally constant, but it, it's much heavier on. But each film is much heavier on the adrenaline pumping side that, well, than other film films of the period. Slower, right? Well, I, I like the mystery of this, but I agree. Once the paranoia, so basically, once you've seen the dog beast, 
and once they realise what they're dealing with, it's pretty breathless from there. Mm. It's a pretty breathless run to the end of the film. Before you know it, you're down from 12 guys to four. You almost haven't realised who's died along the way because it's been so quick. Uh, yeah, and again, I think if we'd, had, if we'd had their intro scenes, that, that might have been more emotionally effective. Yes. But on the other hand, it would have slowed down the beginning as well. So, hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm not a director. I, I will charitably call the characterization here as subtle because to me, having watched the thing many, many times, <laughs> I know and love all the characters. Yeah. I know where all of them got infected. I know who had access to the blood. I, I know the theories onto who got to the blood in it. So to me, <laughs> it's hard to see it from a, but I can imagine seeing it from the first time all these characters would sort of blend together because they have some subtle characterizations between them. Um, uh, but they are similar and they're on screen for such a short time mm. and taken off screen pretty quickly <laughs> um, <laughs> that it's hard to keep track of who's who and what's happening. Um, the, the other things I, I would just mention in terms of critical response, I mean, as you say, E.T., Tron, Blade Runner, Star Trek Tron, 2. Uh, oh, yes. Blade Runner as released matches all those others in basically having an upbeat ending at least. Oh, that's true. Though Blade Runner didn't do tremendously well either when it was released. Um, and Mad Max 2 and Conan the Barbarian. And, you know, Mad Max, these are amazingly good films. I, I, I'm, a, I'm fond of many of them. Um, and people who know me will know what the exception is. But the thing, the, these are all <laughs> basically uh, hero prevails. Yes. He may, may not prevail a lot, Mad Max 2. Yeah, you know, he he does the thing that he set out to do. That the, the community he's, he's is saved. A hero, even if well, he has to wander over and wander out into the desert. Also, yes. because obviously of the gore effect, this got an R rating, which um, put a spike in a lot of audience uh, audiences who might have wanted to see it. Yes, that's true. Uh, there were, were any of those others R rating? I suppose just ET. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I didn't think they were. It was Conan? Conan might have been an R. I, don't recall now. No. Okay. Uh, certainly, certainly, most of them weren't. Yeah, well, it was at the time when our rating was... It wasn't quite cinematic death, but everyone tried to avoid it. Um, well, it, it cut down... There were quite a lot of cinemas that would simply never show anything with an R rating. Right, yeah. Uh, so, it's interesting, because yeah. that never seemed to happen with the 18 rating over here, or not to my knowledge. Mm. Um whether that says something about British culture, but it didn't seem to be the the, the death knell that everyone was trying to avoid. I do. I was. A, I'm old enough to remember them bringing in the twelve and the twelve A because mm-hmm. we used to have just PG fifteen and eight. Well, I remember I the system before that, so you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, U A A A and X. And oh, I, that sounds exciting. I, I don't think I was old enough to see X before that particular rating had been abolished. <laughs> So we've touched briefly on the characters. I suppose it doesn't take long to dwell on it, really, because uh, this is this is a hard one for me. As I say, I know and I could name all the characters. I know at what point they're infected. I know what happens to them. Well, there, there are two, so, two particular uh, characters I, I would like to uh, mention. Um, okay. First, uh, Gary, the base commander, mm. who is doing perfectly, well, essentially what the what Hendry's doing, what what all those old white men authority figures are doing. Yes. Except this is not the genre where you do that. It just doesn't work for him this time because no one trusts him or even particularly likes him. Yeah. And the other being uh Charles Hallahan as Norris has that one perfect moment 
when he is told you should be in charge and his expression is just no 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 I don't, I don't I, no 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 somebody else somebody else definitely ought to do that yep it, it's just a perfect is, perfect micro he, piece of acting it is and he's a thing at that point mm-hmm. I love it. Oh my god, I love all the questions that raise it. Is it, is there a, like, is there a, um, is there a dilemma inside his mind where he knows he should take over because he's the thing, but he's trying to play to type, so he has to do that? Is a human part of him aware that he's the thing and knows that that is a dangerous thing for him to, I just love and it. Is, never is, is there a, it. uh, the equivalent of a device driver layer that will activate when he is alone with somebody and so, and cause him to think subconsciously, you know, I'd really like to insert my mouth tentacles into his ear at this point. <laughs> Wait a minute, mouth tentacles. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I mean, the characters doing, I, the ones that stand out to me, yes, Norris, McCready, obviously, is, uh, and we've touched on him as, as Kurt Russell, he's playing Kurt Russell, he is a, a, an anti-hero in the sense that he's very different to other heroes, that is not particularly unusual by this stage in cinema, I suppose, in fact, we, we sort of passed the era of anti-hero, but he is also heroic in the sense that when he realises the magnitude of what he's up against and the threat to humanity, he is willing to sacrifice his own life mm-hmm. uh, to preserve that. He doesn't desperately try and escape for any means. He realises none of them can escape. Yeah. Um, which is nice. It's a nice touch. He's not, he's set up almost to be c- cynical and anti-authoritarian. He is, but even he realises the threat that they, they reach Though- is... is- yeah, we'll we'll come back to that when we get to the ending. I, okay. I, I was th- oh, yes. I was thinking things like, what about airborne particulates? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we, yeah. I mean, I will. There's a very quaint. I, I'm sure it made you wince as much. Though the thing, the computer program that Blair writes to, to <laughs> <laughs> with the nice little. How long did he spend writing that graphical interface? Because he really didn't need to. <laughs> and it's one of the classic computers where you can type in a question like question how long till total um takeover if you've written the program to answer that question you already know the answer <laughs> you don't need to type in the question. it's it's but simply a matter of exponential growth modeling really i mean what 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 is the reinfection rate of these things Except, well how does he know any of the uh, anyway it's i i appreciate that's more for the audience than anything i like blair because he's a pathologist um <laughs> I think he's nicely, they're all nicely, they're all really nicely played characters. They just, they don't really get enough moment in the sun. Clark, you know, the dog handler, Mm -hmm. he's clearly, he's, I don't think it quite works in the film, but he is supposed to, I think he's supposed to be the, you know, he's the decoy. He's the one that everyone thinks is the thing. Mm Um, cause he's handled the dog so much and he's a little bit of a loner and he's a bit strange. And I, I don't think the film quite, gets that in the way that would have made it more interesting it doesn't quite come across but it, it does a bit uh, to the point where when he when mccready shoots him and finds out oops no <laughs> he was a human mm-hmm. um it doesn't quite have the dramatic impact i think it might have done if that had been played up yeah. a bit better um, one of the things that i've heard is really hard to do if you're uh, making a film in what is meant to be a cold setting is uh, the actor's breath. Uh, the the usual solution for this, at least in the 90s, was uh, basically a dry ice emitter that they had to wear in their mouths oh, really? with, with enough, oh, well, you know, two they... or three lines for a single shot. Uh, here, here they were in a heavily air-conditioned basement. Yeah, so it works much better. What they don't have is blowing snow. I mean, there's stuff blowing around in the wind, you know, the, the flames and, and anything that survived the explosions yeah. and so on, but there is never any blowing snow, and I feel there really ought to be. 
that was. Well, I think the, out, just the outdoor thing. scenes were somewhere in Canada or Alaska. Or yeah, I mean, like that, wasn't it? but e- even you know, we've just blown up the base. We're all going to freeze to death because it is windy and we're cold and we have nowhere to shelter. There's still no blowing snow. Yeah, all right, maybe it wasn't snowing, but there should be something just blown up from the ground because it's windy. The bre- <laughs> The breath thing comes in. Well, should we talk about the ending? Yeah. Um, yeah. The um, the what I I I used to hate ambiguous endings. Now I'm a huge fan. The, the first ambiguous ending I ever came across was the birds, mm-hmm. um, and I was shocked and cheated. I think the first time you ever experience an ambiguous ending you're like what why why are you tell me what's happening? Well, I, I do I'm... think a story normally ought to have a clear ending because that is the point of a story form. On the other hand. You know, they they did actually consider alternatives for this. Um, they did, none of which were... And given the rest of the film that we have seen, none of them would have worked, I agree. No. I, 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 I mean, I think the ambiguity of the ending works well with the ambiguity of the film. In some, you know, the film raises a lot of questions, it doesn't really answer them. You, you kind of given... You've only really got the information that... McCready's got, and sometimes not even that. Mm. Sometimes you're with the other characters as well, but you feel like you're there in them trying to make sense of it. Yeah. Um, and at the end, the big question is you're pretty sure McCready's not a thing. You're not even 100% sure about that, but you're pretty sure it's not. You don't know if, if Childs is a thing, mm-hmm. and just that ending is so nicely written. Yeah, um, though I felt, I mean, may, maybe I just missed a point here, um, but I felt it didn't really matter. No, because well, I think that's McCready's end. If neither of, if neither of them is infected, then they, then they die there, and and the problem ends there because the thing is destroyed. That's fine. Yes. If one of them is infected, then it can just hibernate exactly as it planned to before they blew the base up, and then yes. somebody will come along and find a frozen corpse. So they're not actually solving the problem. Oh yeah, no way. I, I, I so to me, I don't think that's a. I think McCready realizes that. Um, I think he well, thought he'd won, and then Childs comes along, and he suddenly realises this. There's this complication, but he is too tired to yeah. do anything about well, it. Well, I, I do have a possible solution, which is they both incinerate themselves in the flames. <laughs> well, it could, be, yeah, it might be by the end. They're like, well, we've finished. I mean, I will. But say, I think that might have been a bit, bit too much, even for, even for this film. Well, I, they are prepared to sacrifice them. They may have gone down. I mean, it's suggested that oh, Fuchs um, incinerates himself rather than become a thing. Mm. That the, they find the ashes out. One of my—I don't know why. I want a T-shirt with "It ain't Fuchs" on it. I, don't know why, <laughs> I, just, I just it's one of my favourite. Oh, I love this film. I don't know. I there's, it's weird that what, what we've come to in this podcast. A lot of my favourite films involve manly men being manly with each other. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but I'm quite happy to own it. But there we go. Uh, uh, I, I would say, in spite of the various quibbles I've raised, I think this generates an effective atmosphere much more than the other film does, and indeed better than the novella does. I agree, and as we said in the 51 film, I, I feel it kind of constantly accidentally, well not accidentally, but it constantly punctures any atmosphere it's going for with this constant banter. Mm. Um, which Tarantino later on uses to heighten tension, but I feel in the thing for another world it's used to puncture it, which was probably the intention. He probably didn't want it to be too scary or too intense or anything, but because of that, uh, it, it works less well for me. I get Whereas the impression the, uh, there was more banter in the original script. I mean, those intro scenes would have had it. Um, yes, Alien clearly had it, and well, this may, is, maybe no, they no. cut it because they couldn't afford to make it, but it works not having it. Yes, yeah. I, I mean, it's not devoid of humour or characterization. You know, you get 
who likes who and why who doesn't like who and things like that. It's, it's I I I I still think it is nicely characterised, but I appreciate I've I've dripped everything I can. From the oh yeah, talk, talking of which, that dripping covered body uh, yes. echoes the electric blanket scene in the thing from another world, but so much more effectively because we know uh, it's not just thawing. We yes. we know that it that is the thing sending out it its um, pseudopoda. Yeah, it is. Uh, yes, exactly. It's it's a yeah. It's, I don't know if it's quite the same shot, but it's nicely. It's not exactly it the same angle, but it, it's clearly the thawing scene. But it's not just a thawing scene, and and that little detail I, I love. Uh, there is great uh, going back to the ending. There is great fan debate, and going back to your breath, there is great fan debate as to why Kenneth uh, Kevin. Oh dear, what's his name? Child's actor. Um, but anyway, why Child Keith David? Sorry, complete uh, memory blank there. But why Keith David's character doesn't have uh, cold breath, and why he doesn't have well lit eyes like all the other characters do? Because whenever that's happened previously, that's been a sign of the thing. Mm. Um, I I don't really care ultimately if this had been made by wolfgang peterson then then i would rely on that level of detail exactly but it wasn't yes i think this that's overanalyzing it and also it's to miss the point i'd rather have my own theories about what i would rather was happening Mm. Um, well i I think i i have not seen the 2011 remake but it does seem well sequel mm. prequel whatever you want to call it but it does seem to me that that it is a standard fanish error when there is something with unanswered questions that people love to try to make a thing that answers those questions i mean we, we get the similar thing with um oh you know the 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 film solo is in part yeah. there to say, how did Han Solo get that particular ship and that particular co-pilot and that particular this and that and the other? Why does he carry that specific blaster uh, and all yeah. the rest of it? And None it, of that really matters to who he is. And it's much that. more fun to speculate. Yes, yeah, I, you, you've absolutely hit upon the problem with the 2011 thing. And I, I am a nerd, uh, I'm a geek, and I'm... I get that impulse to explain it all, and I've been to Outpost Thirty One, where all these theories are uh, on the thing, and I understand <laughs> why people feel it, and I've read through why Child almost certainly is a thing, and why he almost certainly isn't. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. That I, what I like is that this is a film that generates that kind of fan interest, but you can still enjoy it just as it is, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. I, I also, the other reason the thing. I much prefer this version to the 51 is it hits on one of my favourite literary themes, which is cosmic horror. You know, the the kind of horror Mm. we have here is Lovecraftian in a way. You know, this is an existential threat to humanity, which is alien and not understandable. By its very nature, you are never going to be able to communicate with it properly. Yeah, there there isn't even anybody who suggests doing that. No, I mean, it's different. I mean, there's... I mean, Lovecraft never... Well, I suppose he did go down the body horror route, didn't he, really? But it it is quite Lovecraftian, and certainly Lovecraft is an influence on John Carpenter, um, probably on uh, John W. Campbell as well, I expect. Uh, Not in a big way. Okay, all right. But it certainly certainly was a big influence on John Carpenter. I mean, Carpenter went on to make some more explicitly Lovecraftian films after this. Like, is it Mouth of Madness? In the Mouth of Madness, yeah. In the Mouth of Madness, which I've never seen, shamefully. The thing that really strikes me is that, you know, 51 is clearly fear of the enemy that's going to come and go rar at you. Yes. With with quite a lot of commies about it. But um, this is 
I mean, if you could have made a fear of Cormier's film in in eighty one, when was when was uh, Red Dawn? Uh, that was around about this. It probably was eighty one, eighty two. Uh, like but it's mu- it's much more effective because it is a combination of fear of disease yes. and fear of losing your identity. Yeah, and I I love uh, I don't know I I'm not a huge fan actually generally of body horror. Um, and I for instance I'm not a huge fan of David. Cronenberg. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't think I don't think you can yeah. rely. Well, for me at least, I don't think you can rely on body horror to maintain interest. I mean, that's just. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the, the I, I'm not, uh, but the the identity and the alienness of the thing and the imaginative of it all work tremendously well for me. And then the paranoia aspect, just... and, and, and the the internal paranoia. I mean. As we say, it's never mentioned explicitly, but there's definitely that that suggestion that you could be infected and not know it. Exactly, yeah. And even if that's not how the thing works when you are infected, they don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so, as far as that, you know, you see the exit as the hot needle approaches everyone's blood. You see it in their acting. Is it? Am I actually a thing? And I don't know. It's and all mm. of them do it very well. Um, oh. Oh, yeah, I mean, not not a cast of people who especially went on to greatness afterwards. Um, no, but I, I mean, let, let, let's talk about masterpieces. Well, yes, okay. Um, well, the thing from another world uh, we've talked about before is the, it a masterpiece? Oh, yeah, yeah, very, very um, influential. The, there are there are things about it that that aren't done very well, um, but it gets an awful lot of stuff right. And I think it's quite difficult to watch now in part because of the way it got so comprehensively imitated through the 50s. Yes. If you've seen a fair bit of 50s SF as I have, a, I a lot know. of it is very familiar. It's like reading Tolkien when you've been exposed to modern fantasy. Exactly, yes, yeah. Um, and it's got to be influential, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about the other films <laughs> that we're talking about. So, you know, logically... Would we be I, talking I, about the thing if, a uh, thing from another world, if the thing hadn't been made? Probably not, to be fair. I, I think I agree that it reflects back on it. I, I, pr- well, I'm a lover of 50 science fiction. Yeah, I mean, so... I, I, I like it in its own right, but I'm not sure yes. it would have come to my attention in the same way, except as the first of the communist Completely paranoia. Agree. Etc. I my memory of first seeing the thing from another world was that I didn't realise it was a remake of the thing. Mm. I can't remember which way round. I, I, logically, I probably saw the thing from another world first, and only I, I probably had to have it pointed out that it was a remake because I'm so dim. But <laughs> regardless, I think I think it is a masterpiece. Uh, it it I, has uh, been hugely uh, influential. I mean, yeah, Del Toro uh, has, has said it's a big influence on his work. Blomkamp, Tarantino. Yes, yes. Uh, I yeah, I agree. I mean, I, if we're talking about the eighty-two version, um, I have no. I mean, to me, it's one of my favourite films of all time. Mm. So I I can't not have it as a masterpiece. Or I have very poor taste. Um, <laughs> I I like I like that it was hated when it was first released, and I like that everyone realises now that it, underneath all the schlocky gore, which isn't great. I think ultimately people have realised it's not gratuitous. It works well. Um, yeah, well, th- this is. The, I think I was trying trying to suggest earlier that it, it works because because the gore is exposition. If you're actually looking at it in detail, exactly, it shows you <laughs> exactly how alien this thing is and how and what it's trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. It's not gratuitous. It's amazing. 
good job. Um, <laughs> oh, what was it, his name? Rob Bottom. Excellent job. It, it, it well is screened every year in February to mark the beginning of winter at Amundsen Scott South Pole Station. Oh, now that makes me very happy. Um, <laughs> now this, uh, the thing, as far as influential, I mean, the 82 thing, absolutely. It was directly influential on John Carpenter's career and they immediately got sacked from working on Firestarter because it mm. was so hated. Yeah. And he had to make a number of other films. Some of which, I love Starman. I don't know why, I've, uh, but I do. Um he did some, he's done some really flipping good films, John Carpenter, um, mm. and has not got the reputation. He's, I wonder if this cemented a reputation for gory horror for him that is not really deserved. He's, he's a thoughtful and imaginative director amongst the horror. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, you know, thoroughgoing Carpenter completist or whatever it might be. I, I've, but the ones I've seen, I've very much enjoyed. Um, Assault on Precinct 13, fairly early one. Oh. Was that his first? It might have been his first ever one. Certainly, certainly pretty early. And another film that almost everybody hated, but I kind of enjoyed, Ghosts of Mars. Never seen it, but you've made me want to see I it I mean, now. it starts with a train on Mars, so, you know, you can't go too far wrong from that. <laughs> but... I want to watch that, and I want to watch The, um, the Mouth of Madness. Um, yeah. I will, I will. Um, and is it Prince of Darkness? I had a poster of that when I was a student, because that's how cool I was. Um, never seen the film, though. <laughs> And and I know you have a poster of this film because I've seen it behind your head and, and in another location. Uh, so. Oh yeah, though uh, they, it, it hurts me because they had to, the tagline was originally "Man is the warmest place to hide," um, which I think is a great tagline. But they changed it to "The Ultimate in Alien Terror" to try and capitalise on the success of Alien. Yeah. And that oh, okay. So that. Assault is not his first film. That, oh, that really? was that was a thing you may have heard of called Dark Star. Oh, Dark Star! I'd forgotten Dark Star. <laughs> well, that was influential, um, largely because Dan O'Bannon went went on to write another film that we are uh, we may talk about. We we will talk about it one day. Just this isn't that day. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, this is not that day. Um, wow! Oh, I love Dark Star. Um, oh, yes, I should watch more John Carpenter. All in all, he seems like a thoroughly lovely man um, and did not deserve to be hated for making this thoroughly excellent film. Mm. Um, also, they live, of course. Also, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, my God. See? Come on. <laughs> Escape from New York. Yeah. Wow. There we go. I, I think we, we, would be, we would be poorer without at least half of his films and the other half I haven't seen. Exactly. Yes. Uh, fair enough. Thank you, John Carpenter. Um well, we don't need to do a list of 82 films because this is our off week where we already know what they were. Though, was the thing in the top ten? I'm pretty sure it wouldn't. I mean, what, one of the problems was it, it got uh, very lightly marketed compared with, you know, your ETs and your mm. Star Treks and stuff like that. Um, I no, mean, there, there are no, some there. bona fide classic. I mean, I don't... Wrath of Khan, Mad Max 2. I mean, that's the best Mad Max film, the best Star Trek film. We have the thing. We have ET. I do. I love ET. I, I'm not. Ash- I'm not ashamed to say it. I haven't watched it for a long time, and I probably don't want to again. Blade Runner. Yeah. So, I mean, so hey. Star Trek and ET were in the top ten that we mentioned last time, but none of the all others. Right. None of the others. But they are all Conan. Um, uh, I. It's all right. Um, <laughs> I saw the second one first, and I think I probably benefited as a result. Yes. Yeah. Conan. The, is it Conan the Destroyer? Yeah. Um, but that is a that is a good year for genre fiction. But to me, of all of those films, if I had to sit down and watch one right now, oh, 
Maybe it might be Mad Max too. Actually, now I think. Um, but if I had to sit down and watch, I, I'd watch the thing again. Um, mm-hmm. It's very good. It's a good, solid film. Yeah, I mean, it is. Maybe not the film that was needed at its time, but definitely a good, solid film now. Is it you that suggested to me what would have improved Diner last week would have been the presence of the thing? I don't think so, but it's it's a it's a tempting idea. I mean, who knows it isn't? Who, if it isn't really. Would oh, any that's of us the know? The tragedy of the thing, maybe it had already taken over and perfectly imitated us, and now is just carrying on with our lives <laughs> in exactly the same way that we were already. Oh dear. Well, there we are. And I all I have to say to that is. Uh... Well, I think we'd better end on that. Uh, could, you, could you pop over? There's just something I want to talk about with you. No, I think I'll just sit here a while, see what happens.